Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media, and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. I'm excited to welcome this music composer and music supervisor who recently worked on HBO's Daytime Emmy Contender documentary miniseries, The Cost of Winning, from Emmy-winning executive producer Michael Strahan. I'm excited to welcome composer Kovas and music supervisor Joe O'Brudens. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? We're here. Sorry, Joe, did I pronounce your last name right? <laughs> uh, it is O'Reardon, but uh, it is, uh, it, it's uh, pretty strangely spelled, so I don't think anybody's ever gotten it right the first time. So, <laughs> and My name is actually pronounced Charming. No, <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the uh i've worked on multiple projects with kovas this year and this is the first time i've seen his face even though we are yeah not in the same room first time i've seen his face in a while so good to see you too right. kovas good to see you this might be the first time i've seen your face on a on a zoom as well kovas. i know matthew and i i've worked with matthew and you know this is the first time we're all like seeing each other's facial expressions uh yeah this is uh you know it's kind of a the story of this year, you know, it's been yeah. just Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to see there isn't anyone being uh, disappointed with each other's facial reactions so far. <laughs> no, you have you have like a really cool like background, I feel like, uh, that I feel unprepared of not having uh, with just my normal dining room here. So <laughs> It's all good. It's the, the Zoom life. <laughs> I mean, I guess I wanted to start by just uh, Kovas asking you about some of your producer inspirations because you are a film and TV composer, but you're also an artist, a songwriter, producer. You, you kind of do everything. And yeah, I was curious if you could talk about the musicians, producers who inspired you and just your musical upbringing. Well, it's funny because I started off as a rapper and I got signed when I was 16 years old. You know, was producing and making records for other artists and just started to like elevate. Composing wasn't on the, the radar for me at the time. It was like, mainly like making records and doing remixes. It's been a wild journey. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I, I was producing records, hip hop, and then I started to work for songwriters. Like uh, it was like when I was 16, I was signed to De La Soul. Uh, the first record I ever did was a record called Words and Verbs with me mm. rapping on it. And I co-produced the record with De La Soul. And uh, De La had a record label through Tommy Boy back in 2001, 2002. It was funny because the record label, uh, Tommy Boy went bankrupt. And then from there, all the management company I was with was like, you should produce and write for other artists because you can do R&B, you can do hip hop, you can do rock. And I just started to do like a, a bunch of remixes. I did remixes for Usher, Justin Timberlake. 
We then started to write songs for, for different artists on Disney, Hollywood Records, and it just kind of snowballed from there. I wrote two singles for Camp Rock and Camp Rock 2. So I've been doing it for a while, and just the progression has naturally uh, elevated to the composing side of itself. And yeah, Joe, did you know uh, Kovas from the rap career or as a producer and all that? Or Yeah, so I... Uh... My first gig ever in television was working on a show on MTV called Fantasy Factory. Uh, I was actually logging tape. My wife was a PA uh, on, on, I believe it was the Dudesons at the time. They were all shooting at the same time. So I was working on Fantasy Factory as a logger, and I weaseled my way into a music career by just constantly bothering Ben Hochstein, who is a close music supervisor friend of mine. And he introduced, he, he ended up hiring me on as his coordinator. As I was uh, kind of sifting through all of his music, you know, at some point I came across Kovas's stuff and, you know, we got some placements in that show and kind of have always just kind of stayed in touch. You know, it's it's weird. This this music soup world, you know, you'll maybe I'll do a project based in Scotland for six months and not talk to Kovas at all. And then I'll be uh, on the phone with Kovas every day for the next six months, you know. So we've been in and out of each other's lives for, yeah. I don't know, the better part of probably 10 years by now, so. Can't get rid of me, can't get rid of me. <laughs> so I, I met I met Kovas as kind of a, he was, I know he was still working his kind of Kovas artist records as well as producing uh, or as composing for, for television. So I've kind of always known he was a, a multifaceted, multifaceted guy, so. For sure, and it all kind of combines. I mean, one of my favorite things that you've done, Kovas, was the, uh, it was the music sequence for uh, I Knew You Were Trouble, right? The Taylor Swift music video? Oh, yeah, yeah. I did the intro. We won a, a, a VMA, MTV VMA for that. But Taylor had this idea she wanted to do poetry before the start of the record. And it was like this poem that she recorded. They were on set, and she got in the van and got really low on the mic and just recorded this poem. I don't know if she wrote it before or Scream of Conscious, but she wrote it recorded it and they're like, oh, now we need like music under it to kind of make it feel something grander. So I got the call and that was kind of like one of the first things I did like scoring wise. And the video went on to have a bazillion, bazillion views. And people were like, hey, you should do that more often. And that kind of segued me into like, oh, okay. And then I ended up doing like music for a couple cover girl commercials. Queen Latifah, and uh, it just kind of snowballed. I ended up winning a Clio Award in advertising for a campaign I did with Dunkin' Donuts and starring Odell Beckham Jr. So I got to get on, you know, this is back when he was with the Giants. So I got to be on the Giants website. So as a New Yorker from Brooklyn, I was excited. I was like, I, hey, I made the team. <laughs> that sounds like a big moment. <laughs> it's fun times, fun times. Joe, have you had any uh, career highlights in a similar way? I've had a lot. You know, this is uh, this is certainly this the cost of winning is certainly one of them. Just getting to uh, you know kind of do a very particular dive into a place like Baltimore was really cool. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work on ridiculousness for a really long time, and that's you know I I know not a lot of people get to work on a. <laughs> A, a show for I don't even know how many episodes we have now well over a thousand uh, you know kind of get to work with Rob I got to uh, I got to do Loiter Squad which um, kind of was uh, you know a highlight in my career because it, it was like a one of those 
productions that you kind of, when you watch TV and things when you're a kid and you think of like, oh, it's just so crazy and like everything's happening and they're shooting stuff in the office and it's all like, that was that show. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, I've kind of been all over the place. Uh, I've, I've got to do a lot in a short amount of time and I, I still kind of stand back in awe a lot that I get to do this just, uh, you know. Every every day is a career highlight because you know I'm, I'm I don't think I'm supposed to be here so. <laughs> uh, you to be in the sandbox. <laughs> right. Well, how did you uh, find out about the job of music supervision? Because I mean, I feel like it's getting where it's become more uh, I don't know more popular in recent years. But for a while, I mean, it's not like a a thing that immediately pops out as like a music career for for many people. Yeah, it it pops out so little that I actually so I'm I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I'm about to be 35 this year. Uh, I grew up playing in, you know, punk bands in, in the Midwest and always was just the guy that people came to, you know, to burn a CD for or to, you know, tell them about, you know, hey, Joe, you know any new bands or whatever? And I never, ever thought about having any career other than just trying to play in a, in a punk band and being, you know living with my cats and being broke, you know? And then I, I moved to LA and as I said, I got a, a, a job in television <clears throat> because my wife was working for Dick House, Fantasy Factory, etc. And I started to find out about the job because I just kind of naturally became friends with, as I said before, Ben Hoxstein. And, and up until that point, I had no idea what a music soup was. And, you know, as I start, started to get into the job, I realized like, oh, I've actually been, I've always been very deeply into being a music supervisor. I just didn't know what it was, you know? Like, I have always been fascinated by the music that's played at movies. And, you know, I remember the the outro, piano outro to Layla um, in Goodfellas was like, even as a little kid, was like, oh my God, like, this is so crazy. But again, it wasn't until I actually started working as a music soup to where I could maybe put a, a name to the face, so to speak. And yeah, so I, I credit just um, a bit of right place, right time, and a lot of me always being super into music and that those things kind of combining and then me just kind of running with it, you know? I think Joe has an insane knowledge of music. It's like one of those things where we'll sit there and talk for hours about 90s hip-hop, punk bands. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, I DJ, so I, I feel like I have to know a lot of these things as well when I'm like, playing and I have to somebody request something but Joe is like off the top of his head like blah 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 Daniel Johnston will talk about we talk about everything (laughs) Everything. and I love for the Beatles we both love the Beatles so much we do love the Beatles are you fan of the Beatles Matthew? of course yeah I feel like I didn't get into it till uh, way later than most like it wasn't until college I feel like I was even anti-Beatles in high school for whatever reason it's fine you saw the light you saw the light eventually everybody was anti i'm a huge i'm i was anti so many bands that i'm so deeply into now when i was in high school because i felt like i needed to be only into alkaline trio um (laughs) or whatever (laughs) like emo band i was super into but i saw a post the other day actually kovas and i thought of you and it was somebody saying how parliament is so much more important to music than the beatles and it was like oh like why can't they but why do you have to bash the Beatles to up Parliament? Like they're both insanely right. important. But like right. Yeah, like cause the Beatles are the first boy band. They were the first band to use samples. They were the first band to make music videos. But I would argue James Brown is more important than Parliament because a lot of people who are in Parliament came from James Brown's band. So I, I feel like to me it's like 
James Brown, Beatles, you know. Uh, right. I, I think pitting pitting art against each other is something that I know we're going off script here, Matthew, but no, all good. it just always bothers me when people pit art against each other. Because I'm also guessing that if you ask any member of parliament about the Beatles, they're all going to tell you <clears throat> how much they love them. And I'm guessing yeah. the Beatles would say the same about James Brown and parliament, too. And it's like, you know, it, it's always a bummer when people are trying to make art competitive in that way, you know. Because we're all just influenced by what came before, you know? Who knows? Building on top of it, right? Who knows? Yeah. So so most importantly, the Beatles are why I'm a music supervisor, I think, is is the roundabout answer. Okay. We got the answer. It's not Parliament. For any of the Parliament fans (laughs) listening in today who want to write angry emails. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. George Clinton is coming. I I am... You'll never get a George Clinton song cleared again. (laughs) I am not dissing those legends. Boosie Collins is from my home state. That guy is beyond legendary. Uh, But, you know, let's not bash the Beatles on the way to propping others. Uh, and yeah, of course, I mean, it seems like both of you do a great job of like staying on top of current music trends for, for obvious reasons. But yeah, what are you guys listening to these days? Whether film scores or pop songs, whatever. Uh, I'm listening to the uh, the Tenant score and Pooh Shiesty. So that's the cross section. <laughs> <laughs> Gucci Man's Pooh Shiesty artist. That Shiesty season is it's a good one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I um, what am I listening to? Well, we just finished this Baltimore project, so we were pretty deep in the Baltimore world, and there's like a few artists from there that, like Butch Dawson and Young Don, uh, who are just, you know, are just awesome. Uh, and I've kind of only now taken them out of my, uh, you know, six CD changer, so to speak. But yeah, Pooh Icy's great. Uh, I, I tend to go back. I have these weird waves of just going back and listening to like a lot of magnetic fields and Daniel Johnson lately. So I don't know. Nice. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm sad on the inside. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I just found my old iPod actually and tried to power it back on and go back to what I was listening to when I was 12, I think. What was in the rotation? What was the playlist? What was Ooh, the, the playlist? playlist? I mean, there was way too much Aerosmith on there for a normal Ooh, yeah. human being to listen to. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, Man, listening to Van Halen one all the way through again—that that was weird. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've listened to that Van Halen album like from start to finish in. Yeah. In Select really, cut. Does it hold up as an album? Definitely, and it's just—I remember—I just remember that feeling of like I can't believe that this is like coming from someone. It just sounds like such a blast of noise, but it's controlled and it's chaotic, and you know, like there's intention though. They, they they were like they were like the perfect cross section of like that that music from the seventies, all of those awesome bands, and then technology. You know, it was just so crispy. Uh, and I'm a little young to have Van Halen didn't hit me until, as you said, until I was older. You know, as a as a kid, it was just like Panama, and <laughs> I was like, I don't I'm not into this. Uh, but I've always felt like my generation lacked that. As I said, I'm 35. Like we didn't. I don't know if we had that, you know, I mean, we had rappers who did that, I think, but uh, I don't think there's like a rock star from my, where you were like, oh shit, like, yeah, everybody stopped. Nah, 
Absolutely not. Passion pit. <laughs> I mean, they were good. They were good, but they weren't changed. Nobody was like, I don't no, think they stopped not. traffic. You know, like I'm talking no, like, yeah. like he said, like he heard it coming through his headphones and like yeah. his jaw dropped. Like, I don't, maybe some of the early yeah. white stripe stuff, you know, was, hmm. was, right. was really crazy yeah. to hear. But I, yeah. I've always felt like when I tell my, I won't have any bands that I saw in the club, super small that will impress my daughters, you know? Whereas like right. when my, when my uncle says he saw Nirvana at the little club, I'm like, Whoa, tell me more. You right. know? Uh, right. So yeah. I, I've, I've always been searching for who that is from my generation. And, and I'm, I've yet to come Kanye. up with any great answers. Yeah, I was about to say Kanye, as soon Kanye. as like, you know, an 808 drops on, I don't know. Uh, what was the song for me? I mean, like black skin had that intro and just the drums and everything. It's just like, Whoa, this is, I mean, yeah. Kovas already knows how I feel about Kanye, you know? So we don't, <laughs> I, he definitely is a is a life changer, uh, but I still don't know if I don't know. It's it's right. different. I'm take. It's a hot take, Joe. Where you about to go? You about to go down the road? It's a hot take. I think take. What, what Joe's talking about is that like <laughs> that virtuosic part, right? Of like I don't know, like a guitar hero, maybe. Yeah, I guess as somebody that's like rooted. I mean, I love rap music so much. Like deep, I probably love rap music more than I love rock and roll. Mm-hmm. in the in the in the the grand scheme of things but i'm for this conversation i'm strictly just talking like yeah like that guitar hero that that rock i mean it w- it was definitely kurt cobain was the last guy but he was yeah. but i was 8 when he died you know so he didn't impact me the same way he impacted somebody that was maybe 10 years older than me we've we've gone through a really rock and roll itself has gone through a very uh dry patch here in terms of like true and maybe that just has something to do with the uh, where rock and roll stands on the hierarchy of like popular music right now, you know. But yeah, maybe you know. maybe Machine Gun Kelly will prevail in his fight to bring rock back to the masses. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything about that one. One time I was walking down the street and a guy goes, "Man, you look just like MGK, bro." And I was like, "I do." Like. I look just like that guy, huh? So I went home and got a haircut and, uh, you know, did everything I could to change my appearance. Joe and I have been playing with doing a podcast, a hot takes <laughs> podcast. So this might be the start of it. Hot takes. I, I hope the, the prequel. This I hope that we're not resting our laurels on Machine Gun Kelly saving rock and roll. But oh, maybe, this is, maybe this is exactly where rock music needs to be. You know, the doldrums uh, will actually find us that person that – you know, is it's gonna I have not a bad word to say about MGK or anybody else. <laughs> uh, well, how about we talk about uh, the music on um, <clears throat> the cost of winning? <laughs> it's a nice little pivot point here. What were some of the challenges on you know working on this amazing series? And I don't know what was the thought process even before you know putting a song to picture or uh, or writing a note. Well, Joe was on the project before I was. I actually, the biggest challenge was we, I, I had about two and a half weeks to score it, which I love the fact of like that, this little, let's, let's get it done fast, right? Um, but Joe uh, brought me in because uh, they wanted they were bringing it to HBO and uh, they wanted to have it composed. So I got to see some of the footage. And from there, I just had all these ideas of where we can take it um, musically. Even down to like, for me, having a score that has a subtext is very important. So it's like, of course, we're going to have happy things, triumphant things, but I want 
there to be a layer to the music and being that it was set in Baltimore and even like the environment was very rugged and raw. I wanted the, the music to reflect that. So that was kind of like my take on it. Yeah. As, as Koba said, we, uh, I, I kind of came on at the beginning. This, this project really snowballed from kind of this small thing that we weren't sure what it was going to be. We knew that we had a great story, uh, story lab, who uh, produced it in conjunction with Smack, who is Michael Strahan's company. StoryLab hired me because they just kind of wanted some guidance with the music, and they didn't have much of a music budget. And again, we weren't we weren't sure what was going to happen with this, if it was just going to be a little special that would live somewhere on the internet, etc. Um, and then kind of over the course of us working on it and, you know, COVID with a lack of productions, I think we were, again, right place, right time, where HBO was really seeking you know, a lot of sports entertainment and they picked us up and it kind of evolved from there. Uh, HBO really liked the content. They wanted some, obviously some, they had some notes and one of the notes was that they wanted, uh, you know, a, a composed soundtrack and as well as maybe a little bit of money for licensing some songs. At that point, the budget was brought in, Kovas was brought in. And as he said, we didn't have much time. HBO <laughs> gave us, I think, I think about a month everybody about a month and i think kovas didn't get hit up until about a week and a half into that month you know so it was uh it was tight and and he he nailed it man he did some sketch work for us just based off a little scene and i i I don't think we even entertained a second uh candidate and as he said he kind of he kind of nailed it from there and yeah yeah it was so fun it's a crazy turnaround time too uh, but Kovas, it seems like you're you're really good at nailing these these quick turnaround times. And what would be your your advice to others listening in on how to, you know, deliver something that sounds great and under kind of those time restraints and still feel proud about it? I mean, uh, it gets the juices flowing when you have a short amount of time, right? But I, I don't, you know, I would love I love time. I'm not saying come to me when you only have two weeks, but I think that. Being well-versed in what you do and having your voice, right? Because if, you're, if, if you have a distinct personality, a distinct take on what you want to do, you can like have it come out of you faster. Sometimes you people are reaching around and trying to think and da 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 Like when you're in those situations, you don't have time. You have to be like, oh, this is what I think it should be. This is the vibe. Also, I think my biggest asset is, is having synesthesia to be able to look at music as color as sonic architecture so going into it and we're like it's baltimore i already know about baltimore bass and baltimore scene baltimore club and all those sounds of sonics what's what's the textures they're using what's the sound they're using the instruments they're using and i'm just off to the races doing that so i think if someone's doing something with a fast turnaround it's like making sure you know exactly what your intention is from the jump. So that way you don't have this mulling around and uh, 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 you want to be able to be like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. Now let's execute. Right. I think what you said about having a voice as a composer is so so key too. I'd be curious, Joe, I mean, you've been working with Kovas for, for a while, as you said. So how would you describe Kovas' sound to someone who I don't know, let's say this is a fake pitch and you're working on a show and you're trying to pitch Kovas to the producers. How would you describe his sound? 
I usually just pitch it as like, hey, you hired me to make decisions for you in the music department, and I promise you that Kovas is the guy. Uh, but, I mean, he's he's just a guy that I know can handle anything, really. But also, to go back to what why I think Kovas and I work together so well is we both know about music in a deeper sense than just like, oh, yeah, this should be rap music, you know? Oh, this should be country music. Like, we can go deeper than that. And so, especially when I need something quickly, to be able to cut through all that, you know, usually spend two or three weeks dancing around where you want to be, you know, musically. Whereas with Kobas, I know I can have one call with him and we can be, because I can tell him exactly what it is without mincing words and he can give me exactly what it is without having to go, you know, dig through his 7,000 song library trying to make something hit, you know? I know he's going to go immediately to the lab and get it cracking for me, you know? So his sound is is it's just Kovas, you know? It's like he's just sonically able to nail whatever I want him to nail, you know? And and it's always going to be solid, above solid, you know? Like, But I, I don't know if I could pin down his sound, you know? It's like a... He's he's definitely like just a as they say in baseball, you know, he's a five tool player, man. Like he can, he's just great. I, I don't want to I don't want to gush about the guy, you know, but you know, he's, <laughs> but I would file him. I would file him somewhere in the like. Where would I file you? You're definitely going in the like the Kanye ish section because I feel like Kanye can handle everything. But also, you go into that kind of. I'm not good with like compo- coming up with composer names right off the top of my head, but you definitely got to be lumped in with those guys too, like the guys that can. Appreciate that, bro. You're, you're, you're as I've said in in some of these conversations before, like it's hard to be a good artist and a good composer. You know, usually you usually you're fading one for the other, and, and Kovas is that probably be the most succinct way to describe him. You're getting both when you when you work with him, and that's important oh, if you have something that you need with heart and that's what Casa Winning needed, you know. We could have just hired a, a hip hop composer, you know, to come in and give us some some music, but the film was based in Baltimore uh, and it needed to to be right, you know. So That's awesome. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I love it, man. I feel the same about Joe. I feel like you know, we work so well together because of like a tag team and we almost like we'll have one conversation and it's like osmosis. We go back and forth. And the thing about like we Joe Joe consults on all my block as well. So we work together on all my block as well. And Joe, it, we we did I do original songs for that series, and Joe was able to to, to bring in. We were looking for an, an, an artist to uh, work for me to work with on the original song for the first season. And Joe has the crazy Rolodex. He was like, yo. I know exactly who we need to put on this. <laughs> and uh, he brought in Domo Genesis from, from Oz Future. And me and Domo just bobbed immediately and we made an amazing record for the first season that like still resonates with the fans. It, you know, it's awesome. It's awesome to, to work with someone that gets it and loves music as much as I do. Because sometimes you work with people who kind of like they do it as a job or maybe they like know a couple of things here and there. And it's the same with composers. It's like, I live and breathe music. So I'm always trying to elevate it to the highest degree when I'm working. Yeah. And it's a funny thing, because I think on the composing side, you know, sadly, if you had to make a choice between doing what's appropriate for the story and making great music, you 
99% of the time have to have to pick what's better for the story and that's your your obligation if you're hired but it's nice when you can try to accomplish both and it seems like you really do your best to to nail nail it every single time in that regard I try sometimes people have me dialing back but <laughs> that was the uh, we did get one note we had the two and a half week turnaround we're really in the trenches of trying to get this thing done and we're waiting to get that first cut back and get the note. You know, you're waiting on the notes for the first one to see if if the network is going to just blow up the spot or or you know what the deal is because they had really only heard that little snippet. The note, the the only note was just kind of like, yeah, like Kovas's music is just like kind of like too good. Could you have him like maybe dial it back a little bit? Like it's it's kind of we need to hear the we need to hear the football coach talk, you know, and and not focus on the music, you know. So uh, only note he got in the whole process. We didn't even get a like. Can you take the the horns out here? You know, no notes, just one saying like, "Chill out, bro. You're too nice at this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try to I try to merge. I think of uh, when I'm composing, like I'm producing an artist, so I want it to be distinct and have uh, a sonic IP unlike any other. Like I, I, Christopher Nolan, I, I think does that well in his movies, where the composer and him and the film and the visuals all come together to create this amazing experience. Yeah, and each film sounds different too for the most part. Right. Yeah, yeah it's uh it's it's all about like to me if you want if you want to hire Kovas or hire me or hire both of us like then you know, you're probably wanting someone that is you probably care about your music I I would think because like I, I am going to be diligent about, you know, they hired me on to do this Baltimore project and I was like probably annoying about like, no, we have to use Baltimore rappers only, you know, like, and we have to use the right music. And, you know, I'm sure here after it's been on the air now for a few months, nobody probably really, uh, <laughs> you know, cared whether or not we used, uh, you know, a Baltimore rapper or not. But it's to me, if you're going to write that story or tell that story, it's as important as making sure that, you know, you're actually shooting it in Baltimore or you're, you know, as important as anything to me. You, you scout the locations, you scout the actors, you scout everything. Why do you then just like slap music on at the end, you know? Right. And, and to further, I mean, if nothing else, you know, the those artists and rappers definitely appreciate it too. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great, it's always a good feeling too, to be able to, why not use the art from that community? You know, why give it to somebody else that's that's maybe never even been to Baltimore, you know, it's, we're spending the money and we need music and there's plenty of people in, you know, everywhere that can, that can handle that task. So I've always felt it's important to, uh, to try where we can to, to use authentic music, you know, that's why this was so exciting, you know, kind of having a very distinct goal of what we're doing can sometimes make the job easier. And I think it's a great experience for the viewer. Because when I watch a movie that's set in New York, but I can tell it's not New York, it takes me out of it. <laughs> so this is set in Baltimore, and you hear Baltimore artists. If you're from Baltimore and you know what's going on, you're like, yo, that's what's up. They do such and such. They do such and such. I think that's an important thing. Right. It's kind of like that comedy effect from like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but then you see like you know, LA things in the background where it's, right. it's funny in that context, but right, you don't want that to be funny and, you know... <laughs> A docu series or something. Well, and it's, that comes up, and, and yeah, I think that that's uh, it's one thing to do it as you said. It's one thing to do it, and it's always sunny, and it is funny. But yeah, you 
to me, like if I'm, if I live in Baltimore and someone's writing a show about, or somebody's doing a project, obviously the show wasn't written, but about my city, then I know I would be disappointed. So I guess I'm making, you know, trying to make the soundtrack for the nitpicky asshole sitting there watching like, what is that? Uh, (laughs) Why is he playing Maxo Cream in a Baltimore film? Yeah, well, it's such a pleasure having both of you on. Uh, Do you want to tell the audience uh, what else you got going on in your future? Ridiculousness airing all the time. Turn on MTV right now if you have cable, and I bet it's on. And people are hating on us for that, but like, I mean, what do you want? And uh, Men in Kilts uh, just started airing on Stars. I think we're on like maybe episode four now. Uh, Really cool Scottish travel show. Uh, I will segue to Kovas on my block. Season four is coming, in which I'm a consultant. And again, big shout out to Ben Hochstein, who is the actual music supervisor on that incredible show. And Jamie Dooner, Jamie Dooner. Jamie well. is also the music supervisor. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and Kovas is the composer. And what else are you working on, my friend? We, I have an uh, artist, uh, Amber Ojeda, working on her new album, uh, Artist from Montreal, Empire Eye. We have an album coming out. She has two songs in a new video game. And I have a new project coming as well, once I finish the season of On My Block. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> nice. Keeping it, uh, or never keeping it boring. <laughs> yeah, I got to keep it going. Hey, Matt, we're going to collab. We got to do the album. Come on, Matt. Why Let's are you playing it. around? Yeah. <laughs> Not either. I've been, uh, actually this whole morning, I was listening to uh, uh, Wax on Wax Off. Weirdly enough, because I was watching Cobra Kai videos <laughs> on oh, wow. YouTube. And after, yeah, prepping for this, it's like. I guess Kovas got stuck in the, you know, the SEO, whatever, <laughs> optimization <laughs> rate. It's pretty funny. Awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, man. Love to collab. But yeah, it was such a pleasure having both of you on the show. Thank you so much for having us, Matt. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.